I'm jazz artist Brettina, and I love listening to The Alvin Galloway Show every Sunday, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. on RadioPhoenix.org for conversation, information, music, and culture. So stay tuned as you tune in for an intellectual tune-up on The Alvin Galloway Show. How do we see our lives? All right, welcome to the Alvin Galloway Show here on RadioPhoenix.org. Happy Halloween to everyone, and happy anniversary to Radio Phoenix. This is the 13th year of the fabulous, fantastic, as I say, fantabulous Radio Phoenix uh, putting out a broadcast for the community radio here in the basement of the Center Phoenix Center for the Arts. And uh, we have a great guest, my friend, my twin, the one and only Dr. Neil Lester, who is the founding director of uh, Project Humanities at Arizona State University, and he's also an English professor, and many people get us confused. <laughs> so we'll have a conversation with him about the 10th anniversary of Project Humanities and uh, the events that are going on throughout the year celebrating that 10th anniversary. It's something special happening here in the Arizona state of Grand Canyon, or Grand Canyon state of Arizona. We'll have to reverse that. So stay tuned. We'll be back. Thank you. 
Marvin Gaye, of course, and what's going on? All right, we're back here live in uh, Radio Phoenix celebrating 13 years of broadcasting. And uh, welcome to my good friend and uh, community twin, <laughs> Dr. Neil. <laughs> well, Dr. Thank you, Neil Lester. Thank you, twin. Glad to be back. Glad to be back. Thank you for, for uh, the conversation oh, and the invitation. Okay. Oh, yeah. There we go. Oh, you're wonderful. Great, great, great. Um, so this is the 10th year of uh, Project Humanities. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, so give, give folks a little background of the organization, how it was founded, okay. and, right. and the principles. Yeah, yeah. Well, 10 years ago, um, well, I've been at ASU as a professor of English teaching African-American literature and culture since 97. And I served as chair of the English department for a few years, then as dean of humanities, and then as associate vice president. And while I was dean of humanities, um, there was an economic downturn around 2008 to 2010. And as, as happened uh, during the economic downturn, students and their parents flee from humanities majors. And my task um, from the president was to make, the president of the, Uni of the United States, of ASU, was to make humanities more robust. And, and my strategy for doing that was to demystify humanities so that people weren't leading with humanities as something just about disciplines, and it wasn't just something that was academic, because we all tell stories. We all have relationships with folks. And so for me, I took a more of what we call now public humanities approach. And what started off as a year of programming across disciplines turned into, uh, uh, well, started off as a week turn it into a month and then a semester and then an academic year and now we are doing programming anywhere from 8 to 12 per semester we're doing it all year round and we do three simple things we bring communities and individuals together to talk listen and connect 
And that's why I love your uh, tagline here. <laughs> right. It's got the talk. We call it talking, listening, connecting. Mm-hmm. So we got the ING part. So it's about okay. action. Uh-huh. But right. no, we got a connection there. We talk <laughs> right. and connect from yeah. your tagline here at uh, Radio Phoenix. So yeah, this, this, there's some synergies that are uh, pretty organic. Right, right. But yeah, we've been doing it for 10 years, and then each each year we've evolved and tried to do something more and enhance, and with the pandemic, we moved into spaces we've never been into. Mm-hmm. But yeah, talking, listening, connecting, TLC. 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 You got to have a little TLC. Got to have a little TLC. We, that's it. We, we, we <laughs> well, and that's what we think. That's we what we like to think it. we're yeah. giving yeah. to communities mm-hmm. is we are not trying to be this um, – the folks who go in and save people. Mm-hmm. We try to go in and learn from. That was, he used uh, air quotes. He used yeah, air yeah, quotes yeah, on yeah. that. Because we can, mm-hmm. you know, universities mm-hmm. can be perceived as saviors. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where all the experts are. Mm-hmm. And we sort of challenge that model because expertise is everywhere. Right. And you don't yeah. have to have a degree in order to be an expert. Mm-hmm. If you've got lived experience, there's a certain kind of expertise that comes with that. And mm-hmm. we like to draw upon and benefit from all of those kinds of expertise, whether we're talking about menstrual equity or we're talking about death and dying or mental health and youth. Yeah, I think some of the subjects or events that you have touch on some, I would say, some controversial, <laughs> but some, um, I, I would say, controversial. People, well, some people think taboo subjects. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. We'll yeah. go into those spaces that many yeah. people will not go into. Yes. Right, right. Because, you know, they don't want to touch it right. because right. whatever the reasons that right. they have. Right. And so I think when people are able to um, kind of observe and listen, right, mm-hmm. and then connect, right, or their feelings to right. it, and then they get a different yeah. perspective. Well, I, I think you're. I, I think that is one of the hallmarks, and mm-hmm. and we don't do it as a thing to be edgy. Mm-hmm. We do it because we know that people want to think about it and talk about it, mm-hmm. or talk about it because they're thinking about mm-hmm. it. So here's one example I'll toss out. You didn't mention it, but even 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 the transgender athletes and sports. Mm. That's an issue that came straight from the headlines because there's so many Senate bills out there that are trying to, as we would say, discriminate against people who are transgender. Right. We're still trying to learn about transgender and what that means. And there's so much that we don't understand, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that we can't extend to those people who are transgender, respect, humanity, kindness, compassion. You don't have to understand. It doesn't right. have to be your reality. Right. And the same thing when we did a program on menstrual equity. Mm-hmm. You know, I found myself talking about feminine hygiene, and I had somebody in my family say, well, let's talk, stop talking about feminine hygiene and call it what it is, menstrual equity, mm. and talk about the ways in which not just women and girls bleed, but people bleed. Mm-hmm. So we've got transgender men who bleed. So those are the kinds of things, if we can talk about it, then they don't have to be as scary, and we'll have to be fearful of those who experience those realities that are different than our own. Mm-hmm. Have there been subjects through those 10 years that, uh, I'll say, got the most um, comments or, up, up, uh, I won't say uprising, but uh, feedback? Or, uh, you know. Are you saying resistance? Resistance, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Well, not so much the subject, but I can tell you this, which, is, which I will certainly bring up with our guest in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first couple of years that we were doing Project Humanity Programming, I brought in a lot of black women, mm-hmm. and a lot is relative, right. because, but I can name a few. Bell Hooks, Nikki Giovanni came twice. We had Angela Davis. We had uh, Rita Dove. Um, we had Re- Ruth Pointer. But we also had sprinkled in there Jane Elliott mm-hmm. and um, 
uh, Nora McInerney. But we also had men there. We had uh, Gustavo Ergeno. We had Clyde Belcourt. But a white female approached me early on and said, oh, is, is Project Humanities becoming synonymous with black women? And, and I was sort of taken aback by that because there are so many programs on campus <laughs> that exclude black folks and right. black women. Right. And one would never ask that question if you're filling up gamage right. with, you know, a panel of white men. Mm-hmm. So it, it was interesting to me. Then I started thinking, I'm going to bring some more black women in. <laughs> right. Well, so that, actually, our speaker in two weeks is a black woman. Is a black woman. And that is very intentional and deliberate. <laughs> okay. So you ask me the question, then I'll walk toward it. Right. That's what I'm saying. Because I, I think when certain people feel they don't have the power, uh, that it's not that they're they're losing power. Right. I think they're sharing power, but they don't want to share power right. because they feel that the, the, the detriment is a detriment to their standing in in society and whatever. Right. Well, yeah. some of the the, the most um, t- attended ones were actually. I mean, I think of that one with Angela Davis, where mm-hmm. they were standing room only. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Nikki Giovanni twice, uh, hundreds, thousands came. Now, ours is not quite like one of the other centers where you'd invite you know, celebrities like um, Anderson Cooper or Viola Davis. Mm-hmm. Our, our approach is slightly different because whether you have 5,000 or 6,000, what we're more interested in is whether people can talk, listen, and connect. And that mm-hmm. tends to happen more easily in an intimate setting. Right. So while hundreds and thousands, that's great, but we're mainly interested in the quality of the conversation, the questions that are raised. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea how many we're expecting in the next two weeks, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But mm-hmm. the idea is that somebody would even question that, that who we would bring there. And those were some of the most successful ones. Now, most recently, the most successful, uh, the most well-attended, I don't want to say most successful, was um, Nora McInerney. And Mm -hmm. this is a white middle-class woman who has just moved here. And she has done lots of work as a a, a memoirist and also as a podcast person on toxic positivity. Mm. Well, toxic positivity actually came from my uh, white female staff members and it's still something that is mostly followed, thought about, relative by um, white females. Well, give, give me a, 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 the, the definition toxic of toxic positivity. positivity. Toxic positivity is, um, as one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Sarah Tracy, put it, it's, it's putting a cherry on a pile of poop. <laughs> Um, and what that means is that we talk about uh, positive vibes only. Mm. You know, if somebody says, how are you doing? And you say, fine. And you know you're not fine. That's toxic positivity. Mm. W- what she said, Nora, uh, in terms of her sort of delving into this is she was going through a lot of tragic losses in her life. Mm-hmm. And on social media, she was posting all these sort of happy pictures because that was the expectation. Right. Or people would expect her to move on from grief and loss to move into a different kind of relationship because mm-hmm. one of these involved her um, her husband who passed away. Oh, okay. So that notion that we somehow need to keep smiling uh, and keep shining mm-hmm. when everything else is on. falling apart, putting mm-hmm. on the mask. Nice. Yeah. And, and not wallowing in it, mm-hmm. but at least acknowledging that it exists. Mm-hmm. That's what toxic positivity is. It's when you can't talk to somebody because they're constantly wanting you to be upbeat. Right, right. And, and, and people feel that if they're not upbeat, nobody wants to be around them. Well, that's it. Well, <laughs> yeah, somebody else framed it this way. They said, you know, 
the, the, one of the ways that, 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 that capitalism manifests itself is when, and this is my research assistant Kelly, she said, is that we have to be okay because that means that we're productive if we're okay. Mm. If we admit that we're not okay, then people get nervous and don't know what to do with us and mm. we're perceived as weak. Mm. And that's where the toxic part comes in is because you can't be weak. You can't acknowledge that things are not going well and you're in a moment right now and need to be able to experience that. Mm. You know, and, and you know, there's a little bit of Christianity that has that also. I mean, right. when we say things like, uh, you know, somebody's passed and has died in your family and we say, well, they're in a better place. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's trying to shift away from whatever grief you're trying to experience right. mm-hmm. by somehow saying, and they don't know that. Right. They don't know where they are. Yeah. So yeah. the better place you, for you is with you. It's with you. <laughs> right. But the idea is to somehow try to, try to you know, smother mm. what you're feeling now. Yeah. And so part of that conversation was to acknowledge that acknowledging your feelings and not being okay or is okay, mm. is it, when you're not okay. Um, and not somehow always having to present this face that everything is hunky dory, because mm-hmm. for a lot of people it's not. All right. Yeah. The, there, with the principles, there's mm-hmm. seven, seven yep. prin- principles. Yep. For uh, humanity. Humanity 101. 101. Yeah, mm-hmm. humanity 101, and it's not a course. Um, back. Uh, when we were really launching this, and it was probably the year after we launched Project Humanities, we wanted national visibility, so President Crow likes to have things at the National Press Club. So we had this conversation about humanities, at least that's what we proposed to do, but we knew nobody was going to come to uh, to Washington and talk about humanities. Mm-hmm. So in consultation with the communications people at the time, we thought, well, what about this question of are we losing our humanity? Mm-hmm. That's an immediate question. And at the time, the guy... Um, the coach was molesting a lot of those young uh, athletes and people knew about it but weren't doing anything. At Penn State. Uh, At Penn State. Yeah. And we asked the question, are we losing our humanity when we're allowing people to do things and we know that it's wrong. And it came to find out that people knew what was going on and right. did nothing about it. Right. So that yeah. was the basis of it. And then once we had this great experience of people across disciplines, people from universities as well as not, we thought, well, what can we do now that we have all that energy to harness it? <laughs> Humanity 101 was born out of that. It's a, it's a group of programs, strategies, ways of thinking that highlight seven principles. Respect, integrity, kindness, compassion, empathy, self-reflection, and forgiveness. And it is not in any sort of faith-based way. These, these exist across cultures. They exist within the university. And what we've tried to build our programming around is that as a foundation for each program. It's about one's humanity or lack thereof. And each of those has its own challenges for individuals at different times in our lives. Sometimes the forgiveness can be the hardest. Sometimes mm-hmm. self-reflection. Sometimes the empathy can be hard. But we've built our programming around that. And since George Floyd's murder in May 2020, we've connected those principles fundamentally to justice now. Mm-hmm. Because you cannot have justice for everybody if you're denying people respect, integrity, because of who they are and what they look like. Mm. You know, you you talk about forgiveness sometimes is kind of difficult and whatever. I was listening to uh, uh, a podcast yesterday, and it had uh, this former detainee of uh, uh, Guantanamo. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Is it Fort Guantanamo? Guantanamo. 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 Mm -hmm. And um, he was in there for 14, 15 years, no charges, and he was tortured. And they had... um, uh, one of the uh, uh, 
military men who was one of the officers there uh, that was, you know, had tortured him. Well, he said he didn't torture him. He, others folks tortured him, but he was <laughs> in the process, yeah, in the process, you know, in the room right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the detainee, uh, you know, said that, uh, you know, I forgive you. You know, it's it's okay. You know, I'm I'm moving on. Da da da. But the ex-military, I think it was a Marine, I can't remember exactly what, what service he was in, mm-hmm. uh, he started going back into that phase of him being at Guantanamo. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to forgive me. Mm-hmm. I can do da 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 And so it, I think some people have such a challenge of letting go mm-hmm. of certain mm-hmm. uh, certain things. See that? See we see we had a program on that. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> right. we've had three of them, yeah, right. and it was a forgiveness workshop mm-hmm. led by Fred Lushkin, who is uh, a director of the Forgiveness Institute at Stanford. Mm-hmm. I asked him to come back when uh, Project Humanities was celebrating our tenth year anniversary, and. Mm-hmm. What, the gist of that is forgiveness is not about the other person. Forgiveness is about you. Mm-hmm. And it's about not um, it's not about forgetting and you can still hold people accountable. Right. But but the idea that forgiveness or the, the whatever that hurt has been, whatever that because it's usually hurt. It's not yeah. anger. Right. Anger is a manifestation of that. We learned that from another program mm-hmm. we did on uses of anger. <laughs> so we are doing everything. everything. But the issue, though, around forgiveness is that we also have to forgive ourselves for things. And we don't have to understand why somebody forgives. What we have to understand is the ways in which forgiveness can take shackles off of us so that we can exist in the present. Mm -hmm. Because there's a way in which whatever has happened to us, the trauma that has happened to us, can also keep us from existing in the present. And he gave us different strategies that you can use. And part of this is to just as, as not let it go in the sense that you forget that you forget it, but you're not being held hostage by whatever that thing was. Right. Because you can't undo it. Right. What you can do is to determine how you're going to react to it yeah. and if it's going to continually hold you. You know, and that's that's exactly almost exactly what the the uh, detainee would say. Absolutely. <laughs> he said, "Okay." Right. You know, right. It, well, I wish you the best. Well, and, and keep in mind that's been done historically. Think mm-hmm. of the, some of the family members that were at the thirteen. Well, I'm oh, thinking right. of the 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 uh, the at Mother Emanuel who was right, killed. Right, right. And some yeah. of those family members, and then mm-hmm. the uh, both and John uh, brother. Remember the police who broke into the apartment and shot Mm -hmm. him, and she said, I forgive him. And then even uh, Michael Donald Mm -hmm. said uh, when, or his grandmother, when Michael Donald, he's the guy the KKK killed in Alabama Mm -hmm. because they were trying to make a statement about the KKK. And he was strung, he was killed and strung up in front of a courthouse. Mm -hmm. And it was a huge milestone for the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center because they sued the KKK, holding their members responsible for the organization's actions. Mm -hmm. And she ended up saying, of course I forgive them because that's about them and their God, what right. they did. Right. But I'm not going to hold that. And I think I think all of those, I mean, I think the self-reflection is hard because yeah. it's easy to look at what other people are doing. Right. But what are we bringing to the table? Yeah. That's hard. And, and it's interesting that you know, those individuals forgave the, the other individual for yeah. whatever action they did. But 
other people are like, how could you? Right. You know, right. I, I, no, I couldn't forgive right. you. No, well, it's, it's, forgiveness it's, is not about not holding people accountable, mm-hmm. though. See, that's what often, or I learned from the workshop, that that can get conflated or confused, is that sometimes if you forget people, or if you forgive, people think you've forgotten. But sometimes forgiving means, you know, and they have that in 12-step programs, too, where you have to ask for amends for what mm-hmm. you've done. It doesn't mean you're going to get it, right. but at least you've asked for it. You know, but the other part of that is being able to forgive ourselves for decisions and actions that we have done and that we can hold ourselves hostage by not forgiving ourselves and not recognizing our own humanity and forever sort of, you know, in guilt and shame and those kinds of things. So as you pointed out, just in that example, we have touched on programming on all of those things in one way or another. Right, absolutely. And we still got stuff coming up in the still, spring. Still, still got, we still, still got rocking. some ideas. We have no shortage of creative ideas. Still we don't have rocking. all the resources we need, but creativity, we are like a fountain just gushing yeah. with creativity. <laughs> and we're going to talk about some of those creativity right. things coming up. Yeah. This is the Alvin Galloway Show here on Radio Phoenix, and I'm with uh, Dr. Neil Lester, uh, who is Director of Project Humanities at Arizona State and Professor at the great school of Arizona State University, who unfortunately lost a football game yesterday. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's about the game, right? It's about the game. <laughs> right. It's about how you play the game. It's not right, you right, win right, or lose, right, but right, anyway. Right. Yes. Uh, and we'll be back. Right. Oh, let me, before we go, uh, Radio Phoenix is financially supported by West Side Blues and Jazz, northeast corner of 59th Avenue and Bell Road in Glendale. Performers include Big Pete Pearson, Beth Lederman, the Sugar Thieves, and the one and only legendary Charles Lewis. Westsideblues.com. Also on Facebook, hashtag Westside Jazz and Blues. It's love, sweet love It's the only thing That there's just too little What the world needs now Is love, sweet love No, not just for some But for everyone Lord, we don't need Another mountain There are mountains And hillsides Enough to climb There are oceans And rivers Enough to cross Enough to last Till the end of time the only thing that there's just too little love. Love is love. It's love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another meadow. There are cornfields and wheat fields enough to grow. There are sunbeams and moonbeams enough to shine. Oh, listen, Lord, if you want to know, to know. Oh, 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 o
right there's just too little
All right, this is the Alvin Galloway Show. We're back, and you just heard uh, Janelle Monier um, turn, and uh, before that, it was a, a con conglomerate of individuals on uh, what the world needs now. And uh, we're here on the Alvin Galloway Show with um, Dr. Neil Lester, who is the founding director of Project Humanities and an English professor at Arizona State University. And we're uh, talking about the organization which is celebrating 10 years of existence and working in the community and putting on some fantastic programs um, that are tackling some very important issues uh, that affects uh, many of us, if not all of us. Right. Uh, so, um, you know, we're, we're talking in, uh, about the principles uh, just before we went to break and everything. Um, Tell us a little bit, uh, just recently you had a program uh, on the line at yeah. Arizona State. Tell us yeah, a little bit about yeah. that. Well, one of the things that we're always trying to do as, I, as, as was part of the foundation of Project Humanities is take things out of the classroom and not make the talking about humanities and doing humanities an academic subject. And part of that is... You know, my own uh, uh, philosophy as a researcher is that we were doing all kinds of things before we learned to read and write. So mm -hmm. we shouldn't make humanities the sole um, arena of people who read and write. So how do we take humanities to the public? So during COVID, of course, many of us did that sort of uh, cliche pivot from in-person to virtual. But but what I've decided to do during something that the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences was having as Humanities Week is I thought, well, what could we do that could be in person that would be geared toward a student audience? Mm -hmm. Most of our, our attendees and supporters are not students. Mm -hmm. Most of our supporters are actually community folks because we're out in the community doing stuff. Right. So we thought, well, we'll have this one on campus. It was between two and four. And I'll take what I do as a researcher, which is collect stuff. I call myself the Fred Sanford of, of, <laughs> of, of the university. I'm just collecting stuff. It's got boxes. A whole bunch of stuff. I got stuff. It's like rappers. It's, and I'm, I don't mean rappers like singing rappers. I mean rappers from candy. Right. Uh, products that you buy mm -hmm. because I do these workshops on privilege and bias and for me when I talk about the everyday lessons it's in all the stuff that's around us mm -hmm. it's in the music it's in the stuff mm -hmm. and because I collect these things I thought well they're in my office now but you'd have to come into my office in order to experience them right. especially since I connect these with social justice issues so anything that has a picture on it anything that has a narrative on it potentially is a tool of social justice mm -hmm. and what I call that um, that program was beyond books doesn't mean I don't write books, doesn't mean I don't read books, but I don't think books are the only ways that we can get at truth and knowledge. Right. And so I brought these things out on the lawn, many of them, and, and the idea was to put them on the lawn so that people, as they were walking past this space, would be curious enough to come in, but also to invite people that what we do and what I do as a researcher is not confined to a classroom. So the classroom is the world. Right. And it was amazing to watch people's responses to what they saw because people are so trained in these traditional unimaginative ways mm -hmm. of thinking that all knowledge comes from a book. Mm -hmm. And if you don't write a book, then you have not accomplished <laughs> anything. And what I wanted to do was to dismantle that or to dispel that myth that mm -hmm. these lessons are everywhere from dolls to toys to games in fact you were there thank mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. and I was wondering what 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 do you remember from that exhibit that that may have caught your attention well you know I was and this is a test for you yeah I was <laughs> the, the host the guest <laughs> is asking the host now <laughs> 
to make sure, Lord, you, to make sure that you were paying attention to the assignment, right? Uh, you know, I it, it's, it's seeing some of the material you had before, you know, even yeah. looking at your pictures or whatever. Right. I mean, it should be in a museum because there's so oh, much, okay. so much, right. so much stuff. Right. And and like you said, it's so everything has some kind of connection to right. our every, every everyday life. Right. Um, I mean, it could go from uh, the the the. Um, Packaging the foods. Yes. Uh, yeah. Aunt uh, Jemima. Aunt Jemima. Uh, and the, Uncle Ben. Uncle Quaker Ben. And, and the doll that you had that, that flipped up. It was a different oh, yeah. thing. Oh, Topsy-Turvy doll. Topsy on the top Topsy. is the mammy. On right. the bottom is the mistress. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and what was the, the other uh, professor that had three? I think it was oh, like she had three, four. Four, yes. yeah. And one, one of the, like the three little bears or something right. like that. Yeah. It was like the three little bears and then Goldilocks on it. Yeah. And All how, in one doll. Or one on doll. You know how Goldilocks, you know, the blonde yeah. hair. Yeah. She breaks in somebody's house. Yes. You know, yeah. And then, yeah. But we don't we, talk about we, it that we, way. No, we don't. No. Oh, <laughs> we just say. See, and that's, that, was what, that was what the whole purpose. And, and yeah. the, the point of that is as people came through, they were taking pictures, they were mm-hmm. uh, taking videos. And they sort of recognize that the study of humanities, which is exactly what that is, the study of humanities is, you know, I, I was refrain from listing disciplines, but I say when you're asking critical questions and you're looking at it from a methodolo- methodological point of view of the how, why, when, what, and how, and you're sort of creating stories about that, you're doing humanities. Mm-hmm. If whatever that is, you're critically analyzing it and recognizing that whatever you're looking at connects you to somebody else. You're now, now you're not talking about critical race theory now. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking about critical. <laughs> critical. Critical is just raising the question. <laughs> right. But right. but but it, it asks you to sort of question these things. Right. And one of the things that that allowed people to do was to see stuff. You know, people, mm-hmm. I call that my colored museum. I mm-hmm. borrowed that from George Wolf. Mm-hmm. And Whoopi Goldberg has one, too. And it came from, like, Mammy dolls, Piccaninnies, all these really, really grotesque images that you see of black people that have been manifested in antique stores. I get mm-hmm. them at thrift stores, sometimes mm-hmm. at eBay. You know, dancing, little jig, uh, mm-hmm. wind-up toys. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, just... A little but, just jockey. all kinds of things. I mean, <laughs> right. even some of the stuff from international travels I mm. mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, where the minstrel image of the black face and the big lips, that's not just unique to the United States. Right. You know, there, there was toothpaste in China called Darky Toothpaste. Mm. Had the same Al Jolson image. I told you about the the instance of this candy uh, holder that was in a store in Spain that had the big lips right. called Conquitos. Yeah. Uh, and the little candies were black, and the little lips were clearly from that tradition that show that anti-blackness and white supremacy are not just restricted to the U.S. Right. So the idea was to bring that out so that people wouldn't have to go into my office. It was also pandemic-y, too, so we could be outside because right. the weather yeah. was great. Oh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was nice. <laughs> that was the main thing. <laughs> Couldn't too. do it in July. We don't but... want you coming, right, exactly. We don't want you coming into my <laughs> office now. And, and I didn't bring out my, my most prized things, but I brought out these everyday things, the mm-hmm. packaging. You know, and I also, I hope you noticed, there were lots of mirrors there. Right. And the idea right. was as you were looking at these things and notice that I had like things that you pick up from Walgreens, little brochures that you pick up when you go to get your eyes checked, mm. just these everyday ways in which mm. somebody makes a decision that ultimately excludes somebody. You know, they, they, as I, I think it was maybe two, two or three years ago, um, uh, Mesa, City of Mesa had a uh, brochure or, or video uh, about come live in Mesa, mm-hmm. da 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 da. 
everybody in it was white. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they had white riding a horse, right. like, walking down the street, uh, driving so if the you're car. White, this if you're a great place, right? To and so I, I made a comment. I said, "So is this just?" Is Mesa just for white white people? Oh man, people are like, oh, why you got the racing? I See? said, I said, why are you pulling well, the race car? I said, well, the the car was pulled when they made this brochure, or you know, <laughs> because well, they didn't take into effect other people that right. that live. Well, and that's there. that's so prevalent because mm-hmm. the the theme of that was the mirrors of society don't mirror society. So mm-hmm. the idea is, as you were looking at these different items, whether it was a picture of Jesus mm-hmm. or a picture of you know a poster for a white student where they're asking for um, 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 sperm donations. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have these on campus because yeah. they know that that people want to make some, some money, money. <laughs> right. and so anyway but anyway the idea is who who's being who's being idolized there right uh i had some nativity scenes there i had a picture of a black clown I also had a black jesus there mm. so all of these things on some level reflect how people interact and exist in the world mm-hmm. and so what i want people to do is to see that you don't have to get those from a book you know i use that madonna's theme uh from Vogue is look around everywhere you see. She says there's heartache. I'm going to say there's a racial justice story out there mm-hmm. because somebody consciously or unconsciously has been excluded. Right. I say the next time you go, for example, to uh, pick a, uh, out a picture frame, whose pictures are in there? Mm. Right. You know, whose pictures are in there? It has nothing to do with you're using the frame, but it lets you know who's being targeted as the audience. And sometimes people will resist that and say, oh, but this is about marketing. And I'm saying, but you realize that when you exclude somebody, you're losing money. Mm-hmm. Because the right. more inclusive you are, the more people feel like they belong. Right. And that's what diversity has to be paired with. Diversity can't just be about diversity, inclusion. It also has to be about belonging. And what is there about walking into a place and you see all of these things in Sam's or Costco, all these boxes, and all the boxes have people who don't look like you on right. them. That's, that's like uh, in uh, Spike Lee's movie, Do the Right Thing. Yes. <laughs> you go to the pizza. Right. You go to pizzeria. Right. <laughs> where the black folks are. Right. Yeah, we're the ones spending much money up right. in here. Yeah. Right. Right. Got all the customers are black. <laughs> you in the black neighborhood, but you ain't got a single picture of a black person. But all these Italians <laughs> there. Right. 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 Well, and it, and it doesn't mean that we can't, that, that we can't, um, I mean, we've been doing this historically for years mm-hmm. with representation and misrepresentation. Mm-hmm. But the issue, again, is if we're talking about real racial justice, we have to do both. We can't just take Aunt Jemima off of the, the, off of the, uh, the pancake box. Right. We can't just take Uncle Ben off. We have to do that as recognize that as part of the system that we call systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and recognize, for example, the difference between Aunt Jemima, just the name, and Mrs. Butterworth. Or right. Mrs. Paul. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking mm-hmm. about. And then you look at the picture of the Quaker Oats person, and then you look at Uncle Ben. It's subservient, subordinate versus white that is authority. Mm-hmm. That's what I ask people to do in everyday ways. You don't need a book to do that. Yeah. You just need to look around and see what's there. Who's represented and who's not. And why can't Mr. Clean be black? Exactly. With the ball exactly. <laughs> you know? Well, but you, you still have to yeah. worry about you have to you, or, or any any other <laughs> right. ethnicity. You know. Well, yeah. what I would say with that is the way in which we still associate whiteness with cleanliness. Clean. Right. You know, right. somebody else just pointed out in another example how uh, somebody touched them once. Oh, one of the persons here that was at your celebration was mm. saying that somebody touched her skin to see if you could wipe the brown off. Oh, I, I had that happen to me years right. ago when I worked at St. Joe's Hospital. Yes. Um, yes. This Filipino nurse who had recently came over to the country, whatever this years ago, um, 
you know, instead of, you know, you know, now I get the, the one, somebody want to touch my hair, but right. they want to touch my skin. Right. And like, oh, it doesn't come off. I said, no, it doesn't. Right. And, and it's like well, and this. I mentioned that whole history of soap commercials right. that are about uh, cleaning. Mm. And it's sad that uh, in one of those many, many uh, iterations of the Mamie and Kenneth Clark doll test, where they said which is the pretty doll, which is the, mm. the smart doll, that uh, one of the little black uh, girls being tested when the interviewer said, well, which is the dirty doll? And they pointed out, the little black girl pointed out the black doll versus the white one. Mm. And then the next question was, which doll looks like you? And she said, well, that one, which was the dirty doll. And she says, well, why do you feel that way? And she says, well, because sometimes I can't tell if my skin is dirty because I can't wipe this off. Mm. Wow, that's, that's painful. That's, that, is, that is. That's painful. But what in there about society, even the language, you know, we still talk about black list. We talk about black ball. We talk about black mar- market, black list. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the black sheep of the family mm-hmm. versus all those things that are associated with whiteness as right. You even had a song that was like, if you if you if you're white, you're all right. If you're brown, you stick around. But mm. if you're black, get back, get back, get, get back. back. Yeah. It's everywhere, everywhere. which right. is what Madonna says. Now yeah. Madonna, of course, contradicting <laughs> beauty is where you find it, but then she only lists white people <laughs> right. that have style and they have class. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Interesting. This That's is what we do at Project Humanity. <laughs> we are all over the place. All over the place. Shattering <laughs> the windows. connecting, though. Connecting. That's connecting. right. Connecting. Yeah. Yes. If you just come in and with an open mind, we just try to. And it's all research. It's not just people giving their opinions about stuff. Right. This is all it, research. This is fact. It's fact. It's fact. It's and fact. even though some people don't like facts, they yeah. can't accept right. facts. It's you know. actual. Actual. It's factual. <laughs> factual. <laughs> it's zippity doo dah. <laughs> Help us well, talk. not quite Song of the South, though. We don't <laughs> right, want to do, do that that Daddy, way. Right. Right. <laughs> this is the Alvin Galloway Show here on RadioPhoenix.org. And if I write a message, okay. One way you can support Radio Phoenix is by becoming one of our sustaining donors. For your financial gift, sustainers receive discounts, savings, and other benefits provided by our sustainer program partners. And don't forget, your financial contribution is tax deductible. For more information or to sign up, call 602-254-6636 or go online to RadioPhoenix.org and click on the Donate button at the top menu. And we thank you for your generous support of Community Radio. And because this is Radio Phoenix's 13th anniversary, and join in our celebration today, October 31st, Halloween, uh, Radio Phoenix's 13th anniversary paint party, which is going on right now. That's right, R-A-T now, or you can say right now. Uh, food trucks, local artists come to meet your favorite local host. This oh, Sunday, October 31st, as I said, from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. We'll be partying from 9 p.m., folks. So come on down. We're at 1202 North 3rd Street, in Phoenix at the Phoenix Center for the Arts uh, for the paint party raffle electric slide if you want to get your slide on and uh, become a sustaining individual or business donor at any level by today to attend. Go to RadioPhoenix.org backslash donate. Come celebrate 13 years of broadcast Radio Phoenix where the valley comes to talk, sing, and connect. And I'm with uh, Dr. Neil Lester, and we're talking about his organization, Project Humanities, and their 
10th anniversary uh, that is going on uh, with a host of events uh, throughout this season. And you have a big event coming up with a special guest. Yes, yes, yes. Are you ready for me to talk I'm ready about it? Okay. <laughs> the unveil, because this has been such a mysterious uh, unveiling. No, no, no. We are delighted to be hosting, in conversation virtually, uh, the surviving daughter of Dr. MLK, Dr. Bernice A. King, who mm. is the CEO of the King Center for Nonviolent Social Change. And we're very excited to have her for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is the fact that her work now that expands her father's work is still about humanity and justice. Mm -hmm. And so we want to talk to her about what's happening in the world. We also want to talk to her about how she has created her own identity, even in the shadow of these luminous uh, parents that she has mm -hmm. um, uh, in, in her ancestry. So we're very excited about that. It's going to be virtual because we planned this uh, before Delta kicked in mm -hmm. and you know people are still kind of iffy about that vaccine and about the booster and all mm -hmm. that and mm -hmm. we just it'll be our last culminating event uh, from back in February when we started our donations monthly donations drive for our homeless outreach we've done all the programs some of which we talked about and then we culminate with that and I think the the topic is um, looking back to move forward are we losing our humanity because mm -hmm. that's a question we should all be asking all right yep uh, so now this this is the virtual and, and mm -hmm. she won't be uh, will she be doing a keynote or you're, you're having a conversation she's not, she's not doing a keynote mm -hmm. we're going to be in conversation mm -hmm. so if you have questions that you want to ask her specifically just just let me know and I'll try to get those questions on the agenda she wants to have a question that was her choice she wanted mm -hmm. to have a question that uh, since we were doing it virtually mm -hmm. and she was actually more comfortable with the virtual as well because uh, people are still uneasy about traveling and right. getting on planes yeah. and I saw just this morning where a lot of the the air, uh, one of the airlines had canceled like 500 flights because they didn't have enough staffing. Mm -hmm. So there's still very a, a lot of uncertainty around. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to think this was another one. But okay, this, the issue, the, is the, the, the reality is that things are still not quite normal. Right. Uh, we hope this is not the new normal. Mm -hmm. But, no, it's going to be virtual, and it just made it easier for our planning because we would hate to plan something in person and then and have, have people not show up. Right. So yeah. – but we're excited because she's um, very much in demand. She's very visible. In fact, uh, I, I quoted from her several times because she's very active on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And uh, back when George Floyd was murdered, uh, people were quoting her father. And she was coming in and saying, no, that's not what my father said. This mm -hmm. is what my father said. Mm -hmm. And since, you know, we invited her, I've learned more about the work that she's doing in terms of advancing his agenda, but also adding it to her own. The fact that she's a lawyer, the fact that she did struggle with trying to live in the shadow of all that greatness. Yeah, that has to be tough. Uh, it, it, it must be. And, yeah. and she has talked about this and... What we don't want to do is make sure that the whole conversation that, that she and I have is just about uh, her parents. Know. Yeah, right. We've got to be. But we are products right. of our parents. Right. But there's ways in which we try to create our own identities as well. True. Yeah. True. Uh, let me ask you. Sure. Since you started this organization, this this uh, organization and the work that we, uh, have you, did you envision it being what it is now, or did it? take a little different path that you thought, or how did that come about? Um, the answer is no, um, because we, as I said earlier, we started off as a week, 
And it's also interesting to me that I just finished an essay on Project Humanities as a model of community engagement. Mm. I had no idea what this could have evolved and no strategic plan could have done that. The fact that you are now a founder, which means mm. that you have invested in Project Humanities, mm. I couldn't have couldn't have choreographed that. I couldn't that, either. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the kind of stuff where no strategic plan or the pandemic, for that matter, right, right, could have sort of uh, all of that could have disrupted and did disrupt the best mm -hmm. laid plans. Mm -hmm. What we have allowed ourselves to do is to be open, though, and to evolve in our own thinking. So none of the programs that we have or have had over the ten years come because we already know the answer to mm. it. It's exactly what I practice with my own students when they are getting essay topics, and I tell them, don't choose a topic that you already think you know the answer to. We want there to be discovery. So every single thing that we have done, it has been because we are trying to learn with and not just try to give out knowledge. So we bring in research, and that has what, what has evolved over the years is now we have a we have recap videos of most of our events so that you can see a three to four minute recap if you miss it. Mm -hmm. We also follow up with selected uh, research um, uh, resources on a certain t topic so that you can expand. Sometimes there are recommendations about organizations getting involved in. Plus, again, the program is no longer contained within the academic year. We do it through the calendar year. We started a podcast club. Well, that was never, I mean, podcasting wasn't a thing way back. Right. But right. now we have a podcast club. We don't create the podcast. What we do is it's like a book club or a film club where we choose a podcast and we come together for an hour and discuss it. Mm -hmm. It's facilitated uh, by Project Humanities team members. What I love about that in particular is it's done during the summer. And people can listen to a podcast as you do other things. It's hard to read a book and mm -hmm. do other stuff as you're reading. Right. You can listen to a book and do other things. Yeah, I can't do that either. <laughs> well, I can't either. I, I tried uh, it. But, right. <laughs> but a podcast we can listen to. And what I loved about this, this uh, iteration of new programming is that the most uh, – the facilitators have been mostly high school interns. Oh, and I have really, really appreciated the fact that we have given and are giving high school students a platform to develop their own leadership. That to me is exciting to develop the new generation or cohort of people who at least understand humanities. They don't have to major in humanities, but they understand humanities and humanity. Some of them are involved in our homeless outreach and that has added a whole level of what this work we're doing can be. So yeah. we never started doing the homeless outreach. Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, that, that has uh, evolved into something huge. Well, that I has think. taken, uh, and that's interesting, and I'm glad we didn't start with that. Yeah. Because too often. That they just think that's what you do. Too often they think that's all we do. Right. And, and I understand now that that's still a good thing. That's mm -hmm. hands-on. We can see that. Every other week, and we've done this for eight, seven years of the 10 years we've been doing this. Mm -hmm. We distribute, volunteers distribute clothing, shoes, and toiletries to 150 to 200 unsheltered individuals in downtown Phoenix, not far from here, close mm -hmm. to the Capitol. And the need was there, and that has expanded also, so that we get volunteers who are not just at ASU, but across the community. And that two hours of our being personal shoppers with these uh, clients, has sort of opened up a whole level of experience about humanity and difference, though. Mm. Many of the folks come from different parts of the valley, and this they is have their no first exposure. No exposure to people who are experiencing homelessness. Right. But even the way we talk about it has changed mm. so that we don't lead now with homeless people. We lead with people mm. who are experiencing homelessness. homelessness so that homelessness is not an identity, mm. but rather a circumstance. Mm -hmm. And anybody listening, anybody in this building could find themselves in a situation 
that we had no way of choreographing. Right. And that could be one of those. Some folks have jobs, some people don't. And we don't go down trying to save people. We go down trying to offer some humanity, some respect, some kindness. Good morning, how are you? What's your name? What are you looking for today? Right. And they yeah. get items, and there's a whole sense of value that comes from somebody being kind to them. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, people who are experiencing homelessness, especially now, are uh, probably the most vulnerable when it comes to being criminalized because somehow we still as a nation rich enough to to remedy this with affordable housing are choosing not to do it. Mm -hmm. And our own city is under investigation now for bulldozing people's tents when that is all that they have three times a week. That's the inhumanity. And we don't go down as a field trip. In Mm -hmm. fact, I discourage people, if you think you want to come down just because this is a field trip and you go back and post about how glad you are that you're not homeless, Mm -hmm. that's not this particular opportunity. Mm -hmm. This opportunity is to go down and do some good work and to recognize that our doing this is a gift to them, but they're they're receiving this and being appreciative is a gift to us. Mm. And we've done that uh, all year round. People will do this seasonally, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, Christmas, people will be out there doing stuff. Mm -hmm. But to watch the cities criminalize across the nation, even those who are supporting, uh, is about where we come up with sort of uh, trying to dispel myths. You know, there may be people who choose that, but most of the people don't. Nobody is choosing to be unsheltered because they can get a travel-sized toothpaste from us every two weeks. If people would just stop and think about that, then I think we could be a lot better. And that's what we're trying to do with Project Humanity is not just do the academic stuff, the stuff with research, but also do the stuff on the ground Mm -hmm. with real people. Mm -hmm. And that perhaps will be the legacy of Project Humanities is that we are out doing work that is visible. When somebody puts on a, a, a pair of shoes because they were wearing duct tape cardboard, that is a whole level of experience. When somebody gets a bra and cries because she hasn't found one in her size, that's a whole level of humanity. When somebody puts on some reading eyeglasses and they exclaim they can see finally, Mm. that's a whole level of humanity that you can't get from a book. So we invite, it's intergenerational, it's from Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts all the way to retirees, it's every other Saturday. And if you can't do it every other Saturday, you can bring some donations if you have done on on Fridays at our warehouse in Mm -hmm. uh, where we accept donations and sort because the donations don't come in sorted. So t- tell us how uh, people can get in touch with you yes. and your organization. Yes. And well, uh, we're very easy to find. It's projecthumanities.asu.edu, uh, and I'm one of the persons who receives those emails. You can call us at 480-727-7030. That's 480-727-7030. Or again, email us at projecthumanities at asu.edu, and I'll get the message. Everybody can have a place and a space in this Project Humanities effort, and I thank you for all the support you've given over the years and the fact that you have not only given us your time and your talent, mm-hmm. but you've also invested your treasure in what we're doing as well. Well, you know, my, our parents would be mad at me. But, <laughs> well, they've been mad at us before for other <laughs> right. stuff, so, but I'm glad this is not one thing right. that they're mad at, right? Yeah. Because you also see yeah. what it is we're doing. Right. I mean, yeah. uh, project, the, you know, the, the lights, the place we live in, our salaries, those things are paid by the universe. But mm-hmm. some of the other stuff that we do, that comes from gifts that people, the philanthropic gifts. For example, mm-hmm. when you see me at Goodwill, and some of you may see me because I go all the time with my 20% coupon, I am buying um, things that people don't donate. Right. And I'm not right. buying them to resell them. I'm buying because we can 
give those back to these clients. That's right. why we, you know, it's it's tax deductible. We're nonprofit, so nobody's pocketing this. Mm-hmm. We are extending these as gifts, and because we're a state institution, there are restrictions on how money can be spent. So that's why philanthropic dollars give us more flexibility in buying these things and gifting. Right. Yeah. You know, and I, I like uh, just real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like how you term it as clients because oh yes absolutely um, clients and, and when they come through the lines of gifts they have their personal shoppers absolutely their personal because shoppers because it makes them absolutely. feel good you know it, and they get choice choices. we don't right. just give them a bag right. of stuff that we have put yeah. together I mean that was one of the things I learned early on is take a feedback box there mm. and don't just go because I think that's what they need ask people what they need yeah. give them choices listen you know you've been to places where somebody will give you a bag and you're looking at it like why, right. why did they give me that yeah, yeah. Now, when the pandemic was going, we we going and still going. When it was in its um, in the middle of the pandemic, we'll mm-hmm. say we partnered with Arizona Jews for Justice, and they took out these care bags because it was easier to give people the bags and not have them clustering in line. Mm-hmm. Now we're outside. We changed the time so that it's seven thirty to nine thirty instead of six thirty to eight thirty because mm-hmm. people said it was too early. But now the weather is cooler. Um, but we are able to have people masked, and we are still able to do personal shoppers. And I'll make one plea. The ideal number of volunteers for us to have is between 30 and 35, and we haven't been able to hit that yet. Mm. That's when we can do our one-on-one, and that's the thing that is most exciting and most fulfilling for our volunteers and our shoppers. If we don't have enough volunteers, we can still do this, but it makes it harder for people to have the one-on-one. That's the stuff. It's dispelling the myths and realizing that we can extend humanity and be more humane to everybody. Just being kind, just being respectful. We don't have to figure out why people are there. All we have to do is say, good morning, how can I help you this morning? And that can mean a lot to a lot of folks who are often denied that. Absolutely. And this is the Alvin Galloway Show. Thank you so much, uh, Twin, Dr. Lester, for coming on the show. And, you know, you're always welcome. In, well, thank in you. And thank you for all you're doing to support. So I really appreciate this. Uh, over the years, over not the just years. today, but yes. over the 10 years, you took yeah. pictures, you wrote articles, you've done all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I'm very appreciative. Well, I, I appreciate the work that you're doing and, thank you. uh, and your team. Thank you. This is the Alvin Galloway Show, where we talk, sing, and connect. Check out our Facebook page, The Alvin Galloway Show. You can catch The Alvin Galloway Show podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public. Don't forget, tune in, Pocket Cast, Overcast, and CastBox. The Alvin Galloway Show. And as I always say, today is a great day to make somebody's day great. Thank you for listening to the Alvin Galloway Show podcast. We hope you like our show. And if you do, we hope that you will show your support by sharing our podcast with others and also supporting us monetarily. No donation is too small. We thank you again, and we'll see you on the next show.